Welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. Today I'm going to run a podcast that wasn't on the Strang Report. It was actually on a podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network called Along the Way. The host is John Matarazzo. I first got to know him in Pittsburgh when he worked for Cornerstone Television Network. And through a series of circumstances, we were able to recruit him. He's now on our team at Charisma Media, which he and I talk about. His podcast has really taken off on the Charisma Podcast Network. I was very glad to hear that. He does more of a long-form conversation, and we talked about a lot of stuff. You'll hear a little bit about my early life and why I wrote this book. It's not really a book review or anything, but we talk about it a lot. So I decided that I would run it. It's nearly an hour. I hope you enjoy it. And I want to remind you that you can pre-order my book, Guide and Cancel Culture, on my site, stevestrangbooks.com. Pre-order it there and kind of follow the instructions. You can get $120 worth of free audio product and a subscription to Charisma Magazine. So I hope you go and do it. I hope that you enjoy this version of Along the Way. It's something I've never done before, but I thought you would enjoy it. And because we talked about the book, I thought it was appropriate to put it on my new podcast, God in Cancer Culture. Well, Mr. Strang, it is a pleasure to have you on Along the Way. Thank you so much for giving me some time to share your story with this Along the Way audience and with me. I've really enjoyed getting to know you in a different way. You've been a guest on my TV program back whenever I was working in Pittsburgh on the Cornerstone Television Network. And now I'm working with you at Charisma Media. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that you have actually, you took me on a tour of the, of where the history of Charisma, and I really appreciate the history of Charisma and all that God has called you to do and brought the people around you to do that. And we're going to talk about some pretty interesting things in your life, but also this latest project that God has entrusted you with, and you're really at the forefront with your book, God and Cancel Culture. So thank you so much for joining me along the way. Well, thank you for the invitation. The way you put that, God entrusted me, is an interesting way to put it. I was, you know, this is not about my opinion or the fact I just wanted to write a book. Mm -hmm. It's a message I'm trying to get out. Exactly. And uh, we are so glad to have you on our Charisma Media team. I remember meeting you several times in Pittsburgh and, you know, being impressed by you. I mean, I, at the time, I have to confess, I did not think through that you were somebody that we could recruit, <laughs> but I'm glad that you did. And I remembered hearing about your podcast and being impressed with what a good job you do with it and finding out that the numbers have kind of taken off since you came on the Charisma podcast. Now. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, you're contributing to the 71 million downloads that we now have. Yeah, it's it's an honor to be a part of the network. And the fact that my podcast has now been distributed to 183 countries. Wow. And as a former missionary, that's one of the things that really blesses me because Charisma has helped my podcast reach places that I could never go myself. And I've been a missionary to 15 different countries that my feet have been in, but my voice and the people that I've been able to have these amazing conversations with have now been to 183 countries. And so we're taking the gospel 
all over the world, and I love it. Well, I've never, I've never even asked how many countries my podcast. I have uh, two actually: the Strang Report, which is the bigger one and mm-hmm. the better known, and I have a new one called God and Cancer Culture to go along with the book, right? As my way to draw attention to the book. In fact, with your permission, uh-huh. I'm going to rerun your podcast or my podcast. I love it. I love it. So we'll get a little more attention out there and. It is pretty amazing what we can do with technology these days yeah. in ways that we couldn't do before. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to hear about your story because you haven't always been the Mr. Strang, the author. You you've grown up, you were a journalist and I I'd love to be able to share some of your story of how God has brought you to where you are today with our with our audience here. So, let's go back a little bit. Well, both my father and grandfather were ministers. I grew up in the church. I'm almost certain I was in church the first Sunday of my life. The only drug problem I ever had was my parents drugged me to church Mm -hmm. every time the doors were open. But of course, I had to come to an understanding of who Jesus is and, you know, work through some of the adolescent things that we all have to work through. Mm -hmm. And last week, I was at a very moving service, and they they had some wonderful song about, you know, I probably should have figured out. It was some song I was familiar with about mm-hmm. uh, Jesus, how wonderful you've been in my life. And I, and it was a very worshipful moment. And I found my mind doing kind of a slideshow of times where the Lord had really kind of touched me that were kind of pivotal times. And I don't, experience that kind of thing very often. I, In this case, I was kind of, once it started, I think I was const, I was consciously thinking of pivotal points where my life could have gone in a different yeah. way. You know, my friends are all uh, suffering the consequences of being high school athletes. Well, guess what? I, all my joints and stuff are fine <laughs> because I was in the band. Oh, uh, okay. You know, I was... <laughs> what did you play in the band? Well, in marchy band, I played the clarinet, and in uh, in concert band, I played the oboe. Mm. And um, those aren't very good at playing later in life. But I was in the band for years, and I guess I enjoyed it, learned about music. But, you know, I tended to be more academic. Mm-hmm. You know, as an adult, I learned to become physically fit and so forth. But as a kid, I really wasn't. In fact, I probably felt pretty insecure about myself. I was kind of awkward with girls, as I recall. Um, And I gravitated toward school and learning and writing. Mm. So fairly early, I was on the little junior high. We had junior high back then, junior high newspaper. Okay. And then the, the yearbook, and then later the high school magazine and newspaper and so forth. So, and I rather enjoyed it. And so I kind of gravitated toward journalism do you remember some of the things that you wrote about back then? Yeah, I wrote about civil rights. Back then? Back then. Wow. Yeah. When I moved to Florida, there was segregation. Really? I went to segregated schools for five years. Not my choice. That's mm-hmm. just, you know, how things were. And um, so they integrated the schools year by year, and it hit my grade when I was in 10th grade. Hmm. Or maybe 11th. But anyway, I was writing. I have a copy uh, framed in my office, I'll show you sometime, I was writing little editorials in my high school paper about racism. Hmm. And 
we had high school fraternities. We called them service clubs, but they were really, you know, okay. invitation-only fraternities. And I personally lobbied to, um, you know, draft. I, I can't remember the word we used, but, you know, to get a couple of the black uh, football players to integrate. So, you know, in my own little way, at 17 and 18, I was doing that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, my first real journalism job was calling in the high school scores to the Tampa Tribune on the telephone with a cord. Um, so I had to find out what the scores were and then call them in. That's how we did things uh -huh. back then. And, and in university, it was during the Vietnam War era, I was covering the riots. I even wrote about it in one of my books because uh, I was there as a student journalist, but I was sort of a, uh, how would you say, a sympathetic journalist, which you know, I like to think I was sort of in the middle of the road, but, I mean, the newspaper was sympathetic, and I'm sure I was too. And we saw the foreshadowing of what's happened with the press all these mm. years later. Um, but I was in the administration building, not as a protester, but mm -hmm. as a student journalist. <laughs> in fact, I was calling in stories to the Associated Press from the payphone in really? the hallway in the administration building. Wow. They paid me $25. I thought that was pretty good back then. Wow. And I wrote about it in one of my books. And mm. uh, a man I, I met as a result of the book is actually a judge here in Florida. And he read that and he said, I experienced the same tear gas. He said, I was in the fraternity across the street and it blew across the street. He said, I knew exactly what it was. Oh. Well, it only happened one time that I can remember. It was not a very fun experience. And, but I was there as a student journalist. And and also, by this time, I was a turned-on Christian. Yeah. And when you say turned-on Christian, what does that mean? Well, it means I was in love with Jesus and talked about it and went to church and witnessed and fellowshiped with other Christians, as opposed to going to church on Christmas and Easter right. and, you know, just having enough of Jesus to be a fire insurance policy uh -huh. from hell, yeah. uh, which is... You know, I don't want to judge people, but, you know, a lot of people live that kind of Christianity. Right. This was the heyday of the charismatic movement mm -hmm. and also the Jesus people movement. Right. And uh, I was not initially affected by them because I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I, I gravitated toward these people, formed friendships that I still have, a few, after all these years. And, you know, on the newspaper, I played it. I was not really an advocate, but I got to do guest editorials in the newspaper every once in a while about something having to do with Christianity or religion. They allowed it. Now, they allowed every other kind of weird mm -hmm. topic, too, but they did allow it. However, I worked my way up the ranks, and when it came time for me to be editor, which was an appointed position from some kind of publishing committee— I was told later that I was passed over because I was a known evangelical. Hmm. So uh, they weren't nasty about it. Nobody made a big deal. I didn't make a big deal. But in a way, I was experiencing early cancel culture. Yeah. But the Lord works all things together for good. Had I gotten that position, my life would have taken a different turn. Mm -hmm. And I might not have ended up in Orlando. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, I actually ended up getting married during the term that I would have been editor. Hmm. So, you know, I have to speculate that we would have postponed the wedding or not gotten married at all. So I believe that all things work together for good. Yeah. But 
Those are the kinds of things I wrote about when I was a cub reporter at the Orlando Sentinel, which was considered pretty conservative back then. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I covered murders, airplane crashes. The Sentinel loved crashes on I-4, especially if over 20 people were killed. Oh, my goodness. And I, I got to watch surgery. I covered more county commission and city council meetings than I ever want to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, zoning boards, all that kind of stuff. Uh, man bites dog kind of stories. You know, yeah. Just the kind of odd things that newspapers did. Right. And, uh, you know, but I also, even though the newspaper was fairly conservative because of the ownership mm-hmm. and the publisher, the newsroom was pretty liberal. Mm. And I, again, I was known, in fact, I sort of, they made a big deal about it. I sort of refused to work on Sunday and, um, you know, we talked about it. I kind of negotiated, but otherwise I would have had to work many Sundays. Mm. And it was because I worked, my first job was four in the afternoon to one in the morning. Okay. I was on the night shift. I covered the police beat and murders and fires and everything else that happened. So, you know, I'd go home. I worked Saturday night. I'd go home Sunday morning and, you know, get a few hours sleep and go to church mm-hmm. with my wife. But I also began to feel that there was some kind of glass ceiling. Mm. And also, there was kind of a group think. Okay. And I didn't kind of want to go there. Journalism was not nearly as glamorous as I thought it was. Mm. And so I, and also they didn't pay very much. They, I, I think they still don't pay very much. Mm. You know, the only people who make any money are the people that are at the top of the journalism totem pole like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannon and mm-hmm. people like that. And so I had an idea to start a little magazine on the side. So even though you were getting you weren't getting paid very well, you were put on this beat that you weren't super excited about, there was still something in you that God had deposited that needed to get out. Right. I was uh, curious. I knew even back then I knew a lot of people. I attended a lot of conferences and different things and and I you know the newspaper let me write a few stories now I had to pitch them this mm-hmm. is what you did you pitched them to the editor mm-hmm. and if you could persuade them I did a story uh, I have it framed on my wall too on Catherine Coleman oh cool and it was not a puff piece it was written with sort of a journalistic detachment but it was favorable. Hmm. And the headline on the cover, they actually put it in the Sunday magazine, the cover story was The Incredible Catherine Kuhlman or something like that. And it was probably one of the last secular articles ever written about her before she died. Hmm. And so I was able to do that. But, you know, my job was, you know, I was not a propagandist for the gospel. I just tried to use whatever experiences I had but, you know, I was young. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. At one point, I thought about going into law. But I started this little magazine, and it was from a church. It's here in Orlando. I don't mention the name of it anymore because it's kind of moot. But it grew. Uh, people like Jamie Buckingham, who was, a, who was a big deal author back in the days, ministries like Charles and Francis Hunter, 
who are long gone now, mm-hmm. but back in the day. And, and, you know, over the years, I got to know everybody from David Duplessis to David Wilkerson to Kevin Ranahan in the Roman Catholic Renewal, just mm-hmm. a few names come to mind, who your listeners probably don't know, because <laughs> all of them, I think, except Kevin, are in heaven now. But somehow the magazine kind of caught on, mm. and we got a national audience. But it was very difficult. It was a startup. I wasn't really trained as a businessman. I had a lot of uncertainty. You know, would this work? Would it not work? And I've shared sometimes that I was more motivated not to fail than I was motivated to succeed. (laughs) Yeah. You know, at some point, by God's grace, we kind of got our nose above water financially. It actually Mm -hmm. took us 10 years to break even. 10 years. Now, we had good years in there, which made up for the Mm -hmm. bad years. Mm -hmm. But I mean, before it was exactly break even. A lot of people would quit a long time before then. And... You know, you have to just not quit. You know, if I had quit at year five, let's say, just to pick a number, I would have never known about the doors that the Lord would open. Of course, I can remember thinking about the future and not being able to visualize it at all. I I couldn't visualize it at all. First of all, Gerald Ford was president when we started, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then Jimmy Carter. But I could have never foreseen socialism in America like we have, the gay rights agenda, which was just being... In fact, I write about it in my book because during the time I was at the Sentinel, there was a gay rights ordinance of some kind in Mm -hmm. Miami-Dade County. And I don't really remember what it was. It was giving special rights or something. Mm -hmm. And Anita Bryant, who was a big singer had a whole bunch of number one songs and also was the spokesman for the Florida Citrus Commission. She sang the little ditty about the Florida sunshine tree and okay. how you needed to drink orange juice every day. And she, she did something that was like defending our children or something like that. And actually there was a vote and the vote won by like 60 some percent, but the gay community, which was did not have a political account. They decided to take her to task. Hmm. And they made her name synonymous with anti-gay. If you look her up now on uh, Wikipedia, it says that she's an anti-gay activist, Hmm. whereas actually, you know, she has all these other accolades, which they eventually mentioned. I make the point in the book, God and Cancer Culture, that the other side defines you on if you are for or against them. She was one of the early modern examples of counterculture, although really counterculture goes all the way back to one army wiping out the other or them burning people at the stake or, you know, Hitler, of course, was famous for it. But in our day, in our generation, with our rights, with our constitution, you know, a lot of us never thought it would come to this, but they basically just totally destroyed her career her marriage she lost her marriage somehow in all that mess i don't know the details but i can remember writing about it and she just was persona non grata and that's kind of what cancel culture is it was just one of the few real examples and i mention it in the book kenneth copeland who wrote a nice endorsement he actually cited that example i remember when i read it i thought well that's kind of interesting that that was the thing that caught his eye and now Anita Bryant would be on up in years. The last I heard, she had a show in Branson, Missouri, 
which is a very conservative mm-hmm. area. And, you know, I think people have ra- rallied around her like they've rallied around Mike Lindell and others mm-hmm. who've been attacked. Mm-hmm. So that article that you wrote, was that, was that an early Charisma article or was that still in the newspaper? I don't remember. You know, I'd have to see dates. I can remember that it was in the news when I was still at the Sentinel. Mm-hmm. I would have been more just observing what was going okay. on in the news. But it seems to me that later on, because this story was not just for one week, I think we probably did interview her. I'm almost certain she was never on the cover of Charisma. Mm-hmm. And we do have an archives. I could dig <laughs> it up. And I've had interaction with her a few times. And I remember she wanted us to publish a book, and I don't even remember it. But the fact is she her platform at this point is so small that it's hard to make a book mm-hmm. like that work. This would have been years mm-hmm. ago, but I remember being very friendly, and life went on, and and you know, she still loves Jesus, but she is an example of counterculture. And you were, just asked me about early in my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting thing that this is. This has been growing over time, and it's becoming more and more forefront. But it started. It, it didn't just happen overnight, and so we've seen cancel culture really starting years and years ago. And you gave some examples of, uh, you know, going back even the, further. The book does even more. You know, it probably would have yeah. started more in academia, where mm-hmm. if people on the university campus didn't go with this liberal thing, they wouldn't get tenure. Mm. They were ridiculed in some ways. I mean, it was early and in some ways kind of innocent <laughs> versions of what we're seeing today. And then yeah. uh, it would have also happened with Hollywood movies and so forth. You know, probably during the 60s and 70s, if you didn't go along with the crowd, you were persona non grata. You know, the other mountains of influence that we talk about, it probably has been less. You know, even in the government, it isn't probably quite so bad because there are laws that protect people. In the church, there is wokeness in the church, there's no question, but it isn't the same kind of hostile. We're trying to get rid of Christianity, which is a point I make in the book that you know, this isn't about canceling somebody's Twitter feed. This is about getting rid mm-hmm. this is about of God and the influence of Christianity in our culture, period. Now, that's pretty extreme, but that is the direction it's going, and the goal of some, I can't say everyone, I think that there are some very determined leftists, let's call them, who have an agenda, which is to fundamentally change America to their agenda and they are passionate to do it, and then a whole lot of other people kind of go along with it, maybe because they're well-meaning or they're not really thinking it through or they're swept up with the crowd. And, you know, it used to be that these people were maybe 40% of the total. Now they're like 51 or 52% of the total. That's why we're losing. Now I'm making up these statistics based on my understanding of what's going on, you know, it's hard to exactly know who falls in what camp and how do you, how do you mention it? How, mm-hmm. do you, how do you measure it? How do you ask the right kind of questions to find out? But, you know, it is very close. Now, I made this point on Jim Baker when I was on a show that, you know, part of it is that the leftists have the attitude, we won, you lost, go away, and if you won't go away voluntarily, we'll make you go away. And so they mm-hmm. they... They can't come against everyone on the same day. So they do high-profile people or people that weren't high-profile until they're in the news like this. Mm -hmm. Isn't it awful that somebody won't bake a cake? 
even though they mm. serve this gay couple over a period of years and were very friendly, but the fact that they wouldn't endorse a gay marriage, which until a few years ago was unthinkable, even in the gay community, mm-hmm. it was it, mm-hmm. nobody talked like that. Uh, people lived together, but wh- what it is is their agenda is to get legitimacy to be on the same footing with the, with the heterosexual community mm-hmm. and the gay marriage thing, and then making a big deal and a spectacle and an example of this. Baker, you know, everyone's read about him, and there, there have actually been several mm-hmm. cases like this. And what it does is it intimidates everyone else because they think, I don't want to be next. Right. And I said on Jim Baker, yeah. I think that the self-cancellation is really the most serious part of cancel culture, mm-hmm. where people will cancel themselves and be timid and not speak up and be afraid. Mm-hmm. And, there, and this book is my attempt to try to get people to wake up and as I say, stand strong before it's too late. And at some point yeah, it right. will be too late. Yeah. We are mm-hmm. not there Praise yet. Praise God for that. And you know, maybe it'll take longer to happen, but it will happen. People have been saying for years, this doesn't affect me, it doesn't affect my family. Surely it's not gonna get that bad. But you know, things that we accept as fairly normal would have infuriated and our forefathers in the in the faith and and conservative christians have been losing ever since prohibition Prohibition. Hmm. the conservative christians kind of pushed prohibition down everyone's throat got it passed into law into the constitution it was enormously unpopular Mm -hmm. and it it was a tipping point in a way and then of course the the teaching of evolution came along and they called us fundamentalists back in the day. It was before my time, of course, but that was enormously unpopular. And then you've got kind of like the Roaring Twenties, which would have also been during Prohibition mm-hmm. with the speakeasies mm-hmm. and everything else and and the movies and the movie stars and the glamour. And I mean, early conservative Christians opposed television because it was so evil. I mean, it is like child's play compared to what is right, now. right, right. And uh, I definitely feel like that's something that, you know, we as Christians, we, we've, they canceled themselves from this. Rather than being an influence at that point, they pulled back and let that influence in media really take over and do something and, different. And also, the other side, I think, became more emboldened. They mm-hmm. were mad. I mean, enough that they overcame. And, you know, now in Christian circles, I mean, they're, it's, it's only a fairly small percentage of Christians who will never take a drink, even if it's just wine. A century ago, that would have been horrendous. And then you get to things like pornography, who, which we don't talk about in polite society. And there was, there's been pornography ever since the Egyptians you know, wrote it on the walls yeah. and, and other examples through history. But in an earlier generation, it, it had to be a magazine or something. Or something. Mm. On the internet, it is anything goes. Yep. And it's a whole lot worse than probably most Christians have any idea of. And no one speaks against it unless they're in men's ministry and they're trying to minister to men who are you know, addicted to it. But other than that, I'm not really aware. Yeah, I suppose there are a few support groups and a handful of things. But, you know, and our Christian forefather. And what about gambling? Christians used to be dead set against gambling. 
And gambling is not just in Las Vegas anymore. It's all over the place. All over the place in all different forms, even if it's just a state lottery Mm -hmm. uh, that is gambling. When I was at the golf course recently, I could hear two people talking. They were going to play golf, and I asked what, what it was about. They were betting $500 on the game. $500? Oh, yeah. I said, I can't believe that. You know, I mean... That's just foreign to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow, grow up around that. I don't even hardly know how you would decide. I guess maybe it's just the lowest score. I don't know. But, you know, apparently yeah. in a certain group of people, it's fairly common even to gamble on stuff like that. Wow. In, in my little bubble, you know, that's not part of the mix. But, yeah. you know, we were just talking in general about how things have changed and migrated and the movies have gotten mm-hmm. worse and... Worse and worse and worse. So now the really bad ones are applauded and the really good ones are opposed. You know, a lot of the theaters won't even carry some of these. These are all examples of counterculture. But it's also that the whole culture, including the church, is moving toward the left in some way, moving toward being more liberal. It's compromised with the world. You know, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's even Christians tried to hold up a standard so much that it would even be things like how you dress. Mm -hmm. So there was considered modesty. And at one point, modesty meant sleeves all the way down to the wrists. No shorts on the men, that kind of thing. And people find it kind of ridiculous. And I went to a a conservative denomination annual meeting last week, and I was surprised by some of the things I saw that are considered just acceptable. And it's because it's acceptable in the culture. And people don't like being told you need to have your dress down to this length and you need to... Mm -hmm you know, cut your hair this way or the other. And so as a result, they reject a lot of the other things that go along with conservative Christianity, which are things like trying to follow the Bible. Actually, Actually, the people with the dress, you know, there's a lot of scriptures on things like modesty. Mm -hmm. There's There's a lot of things in the Bible on sexual purity. We kind of pick and choose. There are a lot of people, uh, ministries and ministers that are quite conservative but they sort of pick and choose and mm-hmm. uh, preach sermons and all the messages that make you feel good about God's grace and the fact that you can have hope for tomorrow. And I think all that's important. All of us need to have hope. No one yeah. is perfect. And, um, but I have seen, I don't write about it a whole lot in this book, but even the pilgrims were just like mean and they were kind of rejected fairly early. Mm-hmm. A lot of times Christians in their effort to be strict and upright are almost cultish and are mean and shun people, which is cancel culture going in the other mm-hmm. direction. But even that shunning doesn't mean that people can't have a right to make a living or do the kinds of things you have to do. And sometimes I've often wondered that now the other side is kind of in control if they're not get, just getting back at all the Christians who've driven them crazy That's all the years. That's a very interesting point. And also, Christianity is the oh, only okay. thing keeping the culture from just going into total decadence. Yeah. There's very, very, very few guardrails in our culture anymore. Uh, you know, the Me Too 
movement I thought was good in a way because at least it shows that there's some limits to which people will put up certain behaviors and certainly protecting children. But there are, I'll call them deviants, who believe that, believe that uh, it's sex by eight or it's too late. And I mean, that sounds terrible to us now, but the way things are going, at some point, who would have thought that there would be some people, thank God it's not too many, but some who would encourage a boy at age six in the, if he felt like a girl that maybe he could kind of go in that direction. But yet there are examples of where that's happening. And, you know, it's a lot more, of course, than my opinion, but I've lived long enough and studied right enough and read enough to s sort of see these trends. And things are approved now in our culture that would have been un thinkable and the mm -hmm. couple things i just mentioned are still pretty unthinkable thank god something's unthinkable right but you know let's talk about the whole picture it isn't about keeping a bunch of do's and don'ts that's works it's phariseeism that jesus rejected the pharisees we've got to uh, show the love of jesus and there's lots of ways you do that in showing good works but it's more than that it's turning the other cheek all these things come into it is being genuine and standing strong on your principles and not compromising just because everybody wants you to compromise. Right. And I say in the book that there is hope. One of the things I talk a lot about that we haven't talked on this podcast very much, and we're, I'm sure we're running out of time, but is that this may spark a real revival, which is really the only way that... Um, things can ultimately change. There are some Christians who want to sit, they want to huddle together in their little churches, not say anything in the public square, and pray, 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 pray that Jesus somehow sends revival and everyone will get saved. It takes more than that. Right now we're losing our constitutional rights. There are people wanting to rewrite the Constitution. They have judges that don't care what the Constitution says. It's, they interpret it to mean whatever they want to. We need to stand up for those kinds of things or it will be too late, not just for conservative Christians, but for all Americans. And, but I do think that it's an effort to try to cancel God out of the culture. And because our country is on Judeo-Christian ethics, because so many of our documents were based on the Bible and the beliefs of the ones who wrote them, they have to get rid of all that too. Yeah. And really, the goal is communism. I have a chapter mm -hmm. in the book that says it's not COVID, or it's not cancel culture, it's communism. And I have a chapter on COVID, too. But it is. The goal is communism. We as Americans, especially those of us who lived through the Cold War, um, it's almost unthinkable. But yeah. that's where it's going. And communism is always atheistic. Right. There is not one exception. There are merely some countries that weren't as brutal as others. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah. the goal was always to get rid of religion. So that's, so that's what, what we're, we're dealing with. with. Yeah. It's complicated. It's much more complex than I could even deal with the book. The book, of course, goes into a whole lot more depth than I can do verbally mm -hmm. like this. But um, we have to stand strong. And I hope that my book is a wake-up call. Amen. Amen. I hope so, too. And I, I pray that people do go out and get that. Because there's a lot of really good information and, and hope in there, too. Because sometimes... As we're looking at this, that at our culture, it seems like there is no hope. I hear, you know, I'm, if I'm following people on social media that there's, they're always saying the end is near, the end is near. And it's like, well, 
until Jesus comes back, we're supposed to do what he's called us to do. Occupy till he comes. Exactly. And I loved what you said that, you know, people are, are looking for this next revival, and we're believing that there is revival coming. And I find it interesting that Charisma Magazine really kind of started during the the Jesus People revival, and you've really stayed the course and reported on what God is doing throughout these 45, 46 years of God's faithfulness. And, uh, you know, at, now that I'm working here, I'm, you know, I'm part of it, but I want to thank you for reporting on what God is doing and what has well, been you. doing. It's really more the charismatic renewal. Mm-hmm. I would consider that a bigger and longer lasting movement than the Jesus people, mm-hmm. which was really part of the charis- yeah, yeah. charismatic movement, maybe with a few exceptions. It was the Roman Catholics who gave us the term charismatic. Char- charismatic means gifts, mm. and it's the renewal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that happened in 1967. The word didn't probably come in vogue until 68 or 69. We started in 75, mm. so what is that, six, seven years later? And we picked the term charisma because, you know, of what you said. And I've always seen that because I approached it as a journalist with Charisma magazine alone, mm-hmm. and, then, and then we later started other magazines and... And the publishing and, division. Right, the publishing and so forth. But there, there were a number of magazines and ministries, two of which we later absorbed, mm-hmm. and who were doing sort of the same things. But, you know, the publishing industry, the media landscape, technology is really changing. And by God's grace, we've survived. Mm-hmm. And I tell people sometimes that what you have to do is just survive just keep doing it even if it's tough because it may get better Mm. and if you stop you'll as i referred to earlier you'll never know what would have happened what advice would you give to somebody that is just feeling like i want to give up but i mean you've you're you're a tenacious guy and god has given given you that gift to stick to it whenever god says to do something you don't let go and you continue to to move forward in that what is some advice that you can give somebody that feels like they're about to give up? Well, first of all, don't do it. I mean, <laughs> why would you give up? I mean, it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. And don't go based on your feelings. Feelings change. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go from feeling very good and very high to feeling depressed in the same day, depending on yeah, what's happening. Right. And in fact, yesterday I was, t- or the day before, I was talking to somebody that was in a ministry that was having a really difficult time. And some of the people were talking about just calling it quits. And, and I happened to have a conversation and say, you can't can't do it. it. Mm -hmm. You've been called to this. You need to stand up. You need to lead. You know, there there are people that will be affected. And this person came to me and said, boy, that was the right word. You know, this was some time ago. And they said that was really the right word. But, you know, a lot of us feel like, I certainly know what this feels like, like you're out at the, at the end of your rope, and you're hanging out there all by yourself. Really, it's not that bad. You know, if you remember the, the story of Elijah, he was, you know, God did miracles, and then he felt so discouraged that he was the only one mm-hmm. that had not bowed his knee to Baal, and he found out that there were 5,000 who had not, mm-hmm. you know, he, he wasn't alone at all. So... Well, first of all, you have to deter- have determination mm-hmm. not to quit. Yeah. In the same way, you have determination to live. 
you know, if you're in a canoe and the canoe tips over, suddenly the most important thing in your life is getting oxygen. Mm. And you go. go for the surface and try to breathe without really thinking it through, you know, like, well, maybe it's better that I just drown now. Mm. I, mean, I mean, no human, no sane human being <laughs> would feel that way. And I think it's that way about quitting. You have to, it, with your marriage, you need to go in the marriage and think, no matter how, how bad it gets, we're not going to quit, and it, it may get better. And there are a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, even work. Now, I suppose work is a, is a little bit different than marriage. You know, sometimes maybe people need to quit. You know, <laughs> I say that facetiously. But, you know, even if you don't have any talent, even if you don't have any money, if you keep going, sooner or later something good will happen. Hmm. I, mean, I that, mean, that's just common sense. And, of course, sometimes you have a lot of really bad days before you ever get to the thing that is good. But it also makes it more rewarding. Well, I, I always like to ask this question in this podcast. You know, we've, I mean, Charisma has been around for 46 years and has grown in, from the magazine to publishing to the podcast network and God's opening up new things. and Our Charisma Plus. Plus. The Charisma Plus plug app, for that. Yes. yes. We'll definitely put, provide links for all of those things in the, in the show notes And, of course, here. the books like uh, God and Cancer mm-hmm. Culture, which, by the way, you can get on my own website, stevestrangbooks.com. <laughs> Just had to kind of <laughs> if throw that's that good. in. You can get a bunch of free stuff if you go there and... Yeah, buy it. That's good. I'm all. Of course, I'm all people for that. will probably. We're we're doing this before the book launches. Mm-hmm. The hardcover copy's not off the press yet, but people will be listening to this for a long time. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the book will be around for a long time. Yeah. Hopefully things will get somewhat better. Yeah. But I hope it's still an interesting read. Yeah. One of the questions that I always like to ask, uh, kind of the theme question for this podcast, is, you know, just like the road to Emmaus story, the disciples were walking with Jesus, and they didn't realize that it was him until they sit down at the table, Jesus blesses the food and breaks the bread, and then poof, he's gone, and their eyes are opened, and they realize that that was Jesus. And they turn to each other in Luke 24, 32, and say, weren't our hearts burning within us along the way as he was revealing the scriptures to us? Now, whenever God showed me the theme for this podcast, um, I want to learn from those moments where, in people's lives, where it seems like God's not there, or we're just out out alone, where we want to give up, but really Jesus is there. We're just not aware of it. What is this? What's a moment of your life where you look back now and you realize that Jesus really was there that you can you can share and we can learn from that? Well, that's a good question. You know, I could probably cite a couple times, but probably the most important was when I was at the University of Florida was considered, at least at the time, as the best university in Florida. And, um, you know, I went to get an education, of course. But I went to secular school partly to get up from my rather conservative background. And I joined a fraternity and uh, tell a joke in the way that Bill Clinton did. You know, he said he smoked marijuana, but he never inhaled. Mm -hmm. Well, my joke is I drank beer, but I never swallowed. And, but during this whole time, I continued to go to church, Mm -hmm. probably not every single Sunday. And, but I also was kind of rebellious and was being lured by 
you know, all of the stuff that goes on in a, you know, secular environment like that. And I finally came to a point, it was probably right around New Year's. I was 19 years old, and I would walk around the Plaza of the Americas. It was kind of, the library was on it, and, you know, some of the important buildings, and it was where they'd have sit-ins and, you know, where they would have all kinds of things going on, um, free speech and, you know, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But it was late at night, and there were sidewalks that crisscrossed it, and there, you know, there were lights, you know, street lights. And I walked around, and I said, Lord, this has got to work, because I, I grew up with, you know, went to the altar many, many times because I had done something that week that I was sure was going to send me straight to hell, and I needed to repent for it. And it was kind of up and down and all around in a manner of speaking. And I just said, Lord, nobody talked to me specifically. Nobody confronted me. And I just said, Lord, it's got to work. And I, as I recall, it was over a period of several days. And that was the turning point in my life between becoming sort of more and more secular and less and less Christian and, you know, where I even describe myself as a turned-on Christian. You know, it wasn't perfect, of course, but I would have certainly been a light in that darkness. And um, in that era, started a, a, a student group, a charismatic student group. There were none. And, you know, it, you know we had maybe 40 kids in the group it wasn't huge and you know it it went away of course when we all graduated but I couldn't see until later that the Lord was getting me to start stuff Hmm. you know know, just out of I mean we started like with no money of course we did everything with no money but (laughs) you know we I don't know (laughs) you know there was a little bit organization we had to find a place to meet we brought in speakers a few times Uh, but it's just interesting how the Lord uses that kind of thing. And also, during that era, we'd go to these charismatic conferences on weekends. We'd all pile in a car. Mm-hmm. We'd take our sleeping bags. And I remember we, a couple times we talked the church into letting us sleep in some Sunday school room so we didn't have to rent a motel because we couldn't afford the, the cost. And so I was hearing speakers, you know, like Bob Mumford and, you know, different ones that are either old. Derek Prince, I think, back in the day. And so the Lord was was preparing me. I didn't even know it. This was not some grand vision or scheme. But, and you know, everyone's life is different. And, you know, of course, my life is different from everybody else. But if people can learn anything from me, it's like, Hmm. you know, if Steve can do it, I can do it. Hmm. And... God can use us in ways that we would have never thought of. But it it involves turning your life completely and totally over to Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit, overcoming the power of the enemy, which pulls us in the other direction, and hoping that our lives count for something. I've lived long enough now to have lost, you know, quite a few friends, you know, people I would have considered peers. They had no idea that they would die young. Mm -hmm. 
I also see how quickly people are forgotten and how life moves on. And that's probably how it should be. But it, the reason I mention it is it makes us think, okay, if all that happens, and the Bible says life is but a vapor, and it's a vapor if you live 18 years or if you live 90 years. It's still a vapor in the light of eternity, uh, even in the light of human history. And uh, so what do we do to make it count? And what's counting? Yeah. What's, what's counting? If you, with the, with the wisdom that you've gained over your, over your years now, being in ministry and starting Charisma and writing books and just walking with the Lord... If you could go back in time and visit a young version of yourself, uh, you just mentioned about that moment where you, over a period of days that you were like, God, this has to work, this has to work. You know, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself with what you have right now? You know, my whole life, nobody's ever asked me that. You know, I probably took some side trips in life and business and some other ways that I, that if I'd known, I would have, ha you know, I would have handled differently. But then, of course, you never know what would happen, mm -hmm. you know. I tried to be a good father, but when, I, when my boys were like three and four, I could not have imagined, could not have imagined them as adults mm -hmm. or the lives they lead or whatever. And I wish that I could have maybe parented them better. I thought I was a good father, but my sons remember me as being gone a lot. So, you know, and I could probably list about 60 other things, <laughs> but that's an interesting question. Um, I just find it always interesting because I know that we can't go back, and our experiences have led us to where we are today and who, you know, God is using today. But there are times that I'm like, man, I wish I would have known then what I know now. And um, I just thank you for, for sharing about that. And you know, I just have a couple minutes here left. I just want to make sure that people know that they can get your book, God and Cancel Culture, at stevestrangbooks.com. What is the most important chapter in this book that you say you've got to start with that? Well, all the chapters are written like magazine articles. That's the style I know, which means that you can kind of start anywhere. You know, it probably does build a little bit, but I tell people just jump in and you know, where you want to, and you kind of read it in any order you want mm. to, because they're all on different topics and kind of self-contained. I'm going to say chapter nine, which is being the church in the face mm. of cancel culture. You know, I do write about politics. I write about communism and COVID and, you know, all those kinds of things. I tell stories about people from Mike Lindell, who did the forward mm -hmm. for the book and President Trump and you know, different high-profile people who've been canceled on social media. And this is, this is not just a, another Trump book, because you've done previous books like God and Donald Trump, God and the 2020 election, and... Well, there are four of them. four of them, but this is not just about Donald Trump. There's, and, and I start yeah. the book by saying, this book is not about Donald Trump. I remember, <laughs> you might have assumed it was, since I've written four books with his name in the title. The two most important of the four were um, the first mm -hmm. one, the miracle of the 216 election. It was strong enough that it, the other, it kind of spawned the mm -hmm. others. The God Trump of the 2020 election, which I wish I would have called God Trump and America, because mm. that's really what it was about, was also pretty successful. It was the mo most recent one. COVID came out and, you know, 
the stores, everything was shut down. I wrote an NC book originally just on digital and later in print mm-hmm. called God, Trump, and COVID-19, but it was really part, part B. B. Mm-hmm. If it had happened before I finished the book, it would have been in the regular book. Yeah. Trump, Trump Aftershock was the longest, most academic, and the lowest seller of the three big ones. It was really about his first two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote it partly in, in response to the success of God Trump, or, or God and Donald Trump, mm-hmm. rather. I, I did not set out to write four books on Donald Trump. I'm a publisher, as you well yeah. know. I've published over 2,000 books. About 1,000 of them are still in print. So really, people should go to our um, charismahouse.com <laughs> and buy all of our books, not just mine. Uh-huh. But, you know, at this stage in my life, uh, the Lord opened the door to write God and Donald Trump, which was a very good experience. It was the first major book I'd written. Mm. It was always easier to let somebody else write it. And so the Lord's kind of opened a new door for me, even though I'm in media and have, you know, with the Lord's help, created a media platform. It's interesting being on all... And I've been on TV shows mm-hmm. before, but it was like, oh, look at this young guy who started a Christian magazine. That was, you know, let's interview him. You know, I, I wasn't on because I was pounding the drum for something. Although I try to make everything we do have, having to do with living in the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and which is a wonderful way to live. But there is also kind of a theology that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you get healed of all your diseases, delivered of all your afflictions, and the Lord is going to look out for you and provide for you. And I believe those things, but it it's hard to understand why it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. And and it's easy to live in a little Christian bubble. And how in the world do these things work when you go out into the highways and byways? Yeah. But God has plans and purposes bigger than us. Amen. Amen. A lot bigger than Charisma Magazine, bigger than my life. I don't understand sometimes why certain things happen. Yeah, I, I do want to thank you so much for just allowing me to have this conversation with you. And I want to encourage the people that are listening to make sure you get your copy of God and Cancel Culture, because not only is it going to bring light to the situation that's happening in our world right now, but it's also going to bring hope as well, because that's something that we really need. And whether you're afraid of getting canceled on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, this book was going to help you to stand firm on the Word of God no matter what is coming up against you. Mr. Strangs, thank you so much for allowing me to join you along and, your way. And let if somebody listened this long, they deserve something. So if, if they will write to us, uh, I will give them a free one-year subscription to Charisma. I love it. And, and you have to take a pencil and write it down, or like I say sometimes on my podcast, you can always stop it and back it up and listen, but... Uh, write it to info at charismamedia.com. Just say, I listened to John's podcast on the way and decided that I would like a subscription to Charisma. You have to something. Say, something say something to like that, that effect. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, of course, give us your name, address, and zip code. Mm-hmm. And, we will, and we will add you to get a subscription. And it'll be also an interesting little way to test the responsiveness of your audience. Because a your subscription, I think the regular price now is about $30 a year. That's very generous of you to offer that. Thank so, you. First time I ever did that. <laughs> so. Thank you very much, and thank you for allowing us to join you along your way.